Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we speak with world-class high jumper Dontavius Hall. Dontavius tried the high jump in ninth grade, jumping just four feet eight inches. But just a few years later, while still in high school, Dontavius cleared the magical height of seven feet, prompting a Division I college scholarship and putting him on a path toward elite international competition. Dontavius is a three-time All-American in the high jump at Auburn University and is currently ranked 35th in the world. We talk with Dontavius about his life and about his faith in God, the animating source, and his inspiration on and off the track. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Dontavius on the show today. Dontavius, can you start by telling us a little bit about sport in your life? Yes. So growing up, I was always a three-sport athlete. I played football and basketball and ran track pretty much since I was younger. Um... Sport has played a tremendous role in my life. Uh, my entire family has played sports, so I knew that growing up I was going to be an athlete uh, right away since I started playing football at the age of four. Well, that's great. That That's a lot of years of experience. Pretty exciting to hear all that. Tell us a little bit about faith in your life. So faith is very important to me. Uh, growing up, I'm a Christian, so I would go to church on Sundays with my family and also pray regularly. Um I also learned to apply that to my sport as I got older, which I'll tell you more about. So, Dante, uh, or Dontavius, we have uh, a lot of folks out here that might have no idea who you are yet at this point, and we're going to spend some time getting to know you, but why don't you just prime us a little bit with something unusual, something in your life that kind of set you apart, some experience maybe, some hobby. Give us something about you that will help us get to know you. Well, I'm musically inclined. I play the ukulele, the piano, a little bit of guitar, and also sing a little bit. So I love music, and I guess that's an interesting fact about me. Ah, you should have brought uh, that ukulele along. That would have been <laughs> great for our, our listening audience. That would have been fantastic. So I'm wondering, uh, Dontavius, um, I think you've lowered our, our um, collective age here quite a bit. Let me just start with that. I mean, uh, I know Chad's kind of an old guy. Um, how old are you? 22 years old. You're 22. Uh, you might be the youngest person we've had on our podcast, which is awesome. Tell, tell us a little bit about your athletic life and uh, the things that you're working on right now. So athletically, I'm currently ranked number five in the U.S. among all collegiate and pro athletes and ranked number 35 in the nation. Um, I'm coming off a really great season this past year. I got second twice at SECs and I got third place twice at NCAAs, making me the only high jumper to do so um, this past year. Also being able to go to USA trials and get third place to qualify for my second USA team, which went to the Bahamas recently. So coming off a really great year and just doing really great athletically. So tell us a little bit about why you chose track and field you talked about having a pretty a pretty broad athletic background family that played a lot of sports you played a lot of sports 
What was it about track and field that drew you in? So I played football and basketball, but track and field was the sport I was best at. Also, when it came to middle school and high school, track and field was the first team that I ever made. Um, Because in middle school, I wasn't able to make the football and basketball teams because I just wasn't tall enough. But I was able to make the track team, which kind of led to that being my first love in the sport that I stuck with all the way throughout high school. And then as you've gotten into track and field, my guess is that particularly at a younger age, you started with a number of different events, uh, possibly kind of moving around and then settled in on, on high jump. Give us a little bit of that history. Okay, so coming in in middle school, I was a 400-meter runner. Um, my older brother actually did high jump before me. So when I was in the eighth grade, he was in the ninth grade, and he did high jump, um, which made me want to try that out when I got to high school. So although I was still a 400-meter runner when I made it to the ninth grade, I also did the high jump, but I wasn't very good. And my personal best was about 4'8". And I somehow convinced my coach to continue to let me jump, even though I wasn't good at the event. And I pretty much progressed and progressed each year. Um, by my senior year, I was a seven-footer, and also I won a state championship that year. So let's put this into perspective. We also, yeah, you might be one of the, the younger people we've ever interviewed on this show, but you're also the only high jumper, I believe, that we've, we've ever interviewed. So put this into perspective for us. What does it mean to be a seven-footer? Share with our audience here. So on the high school level, seven feet is like the standard of greatness on the high school level. When you can hit that mark, you're pretty much really good. Um, And also when it comes to collegiate level, the mark I would say that everyone is chasing after is the 7.3 mark, which is 2.21 meters. So that's also a pretty amazing mark to be able to hit. Talk to us a little bit about, about your scores right now related to that college mark, where you've been the last couple of years, where you are now. Right. Um, Coming in my freshman year of college, I was, since in high school, I was seven feet even. My freshman year, I was able to jump seven, one and three quarters. Moving on to my sophomore year, when COVID shut us down, I only cleared six, 11 and a half. And then my junior year was the year when I broke out a little bit and I was able to clear seven feet, three inches, which is, was my PR, um, my past year. And then this past year, I was able to jump seven, three and three quarters, which is now my new PR. And my difference between my junior and senior year is I was so much more consistent during my senior year, whereas only in my junior year, I jumped that seven, three bar once. So Dontavious, I can remember when I was uh, in high school, I had a friend at a, at a sort of a rival high school or an acquaintance really that uh, heard, I heard he hit the seven foot mark. And that changed everything for him, just like it did for you. And it opened up opportunities for a college scholarship. He ended up going to the University of Michigan. Can you tell us a little bit about once you hit the seven uh, foot mark, what happened in your life and then how that progressed? Yes, sir. Um, but yeah, I am an Auburn Tiger, but I would say once I hit that seven feet mark in, in high school, you kind of become sort of a celebrity once you jump that high because people see you as as different from the rest because they, they feel like you're on the track to possibly becoming world-class at some point in your career um, since you were able to hit that mark at such a young age. Um, also, coming into college, when I was on campus, my teammates, when I was a freshman, I was 18 years old, they would say, are you the seven-footer? You're the seven-footer. You know, it's almost like you're – something is expected of you. You're treated a little bit differently because people expect things of you held to a higher standard. So, 
So Dontavious, we're, we're Northerners up here and we, we look we look at SEC track as being kind of the gold standard, you know, the, the premier. You're a guy that's grown up in that region of the country. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of the some of the ways in which you're socialized into all this, some of the ways in which kind of, you know, you know, track and uh, experiencing it at high levels, scoring really well at events. You know, what, is, what does that what does that do for you? What does that mean for you? Yes, it means a lot to me. Uh, like I said, when I was younger, I wasn't very good in the sport. Uh, I pretty much progressed throughout my years of high school. And even when I got to college, um, over the past three to four years, when I was from my freshman to my junior year, I didn't really win any medals and whatnot. So just being able to progress so far and just wait patiently um, to the point to where I can win multiple medals and qualify for USA teams and be ranked top in the world and all of those great things, you know, just came with patience. So I expect patience is just one of the many qualities that you have that make you into a kind of a world-class athlete at this point. And I'm, and I'm curious a little bit, you, you said you grew up in a Christian home and um, that you are continue to, to be a Christian now to this day. And sometimes in those early college years, particularly, there are questions and there are um, challenges to maintaining a faith or practicing your faith in a particular way. Can you tell me about college life for you at this point and uh, sort of some of the connections you've made, maybe the community that has formed around you uh, in terms of your faith life and your athletic life? Yes. Uh, Faith-wise, I would definitely say I've leaned on my teammates and some of my friends that I've met on campus um, when it comes to my faith and talking about faith and sharing my testimony. Um, pretty much one of my best friends on the team is someone who's really helped me grow in my faith. He's a pole vaulter on the team, James Corson. Um, we just have a lot of conversations and things. And like you said, uh, coming into college, when you're younger, you have questions and things, and now you're off on your own, and you don't have your family there that, that can tell you to go to church with them. And it's just a little different. A lot of responsibility is on you, so you really get to – you have a test of your heart and seeing where your heart truly is, you know, so really relied on my teammates and my classmates to, you know, help guide me as I follow Jesus. So. Can you speak more to the, to the team culture on us? I mean, you talk about your teammates. Is there something that's kind of systematically a part of the Auburn track team or, or is it, is it just that there's just, just people that you've found in sort of a brotherhood of people who, who live the same faith as you? Yeah, so we do have basically a Christian group that we work with. We have a team chaplain. Um, his name is Ryan. And But also, I will say my teammates, I would just say the community is already there. Before we even had the team chaplain and before those things were consistent, I was able to find find friends who believe in Jesus just like I did. So. Don Tavis, I wonder when we think about uh sport and faith sometimes people get hung up on different things sometimes it's um you know the the amount of time that it takes uh that kind of pulls you away from other aspects of life sometimes it's identity you know people didn't really care about me until i hit seven feet and then you know all of a sudden i'm a celebrity and i've got people asking for my time and it's really hard to remain grounded and to remain uh, sort of faithful in that time. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about uh, any sort of um, difficulties, challenges, struggles you've had as you've sort of transitioned into this next phase of life, one of high expectation and potentially more celebrity. 
Yes, I will say this past year has been very difficult for me, uh, just being so successful um, on the track, but also through my social media, um, through my Instagram profile. I basically, through every up and down that I have throughout the season, I always share it. And I continuously, each and every post I put, um, I wasn't able to accomplish this, but I have my faith in God and I believe that I will I will finish or I will say, I thank God for this opportunity. I thank God for being able to perform at this level. And so many people, I have a lot of positive feedback, but at the same time, there was a lot of pressure on me to remain true to myself and also not just post on social media, just, just to post, you know, and actually believe in what I say. Hello everyone, this is Reb Brad, Director of Soccer Chaplains United and Volunteer Chaplain to the Colorado Rapids of Major League Soccer. I just wanted to take a quick moment to share some exciting news. Something big is coming. World Cup 2022. This World Cup, Soccer Chaplains United is producing and publishing a devotional entitled The Light is Coming. This devotional is a collaboration of several of our chaplains and will look to have it available beginning November 1st, just in time for the start of the tournament. It's an eight-week, 80-page devotional with illustrations, and it will feature readings that mirror the different weeks of World Cup, Advent, and Christmas. Each week, three different authors interweaving themes of faith, family, and football around a common weekly theme. Amazon, or better yet, Amazon Smile, will be the place to purchase your print-on-demand copy, and we'll have it available in ebook format for English, Spanish, and Portuguese as well. Anyone who loves soccer is encouraged to reach out and email us at info at soccerchaplainsunited.org for information on bulk rate discounts. Are you hosting a World Cup watch party? Grab a few copies to give to fans and friends. Does your church, club, or rec team have some World Cup fans? Get some books to give them away. This edition of the World Cup is special. It's the first time happening in this time of the year and first time happening in an Arabic country. We'd love to see this devotional get in the hands of many this World Cup season. Find out more information on SoccerChaplainsUnited.org or by emailing us at info at that same web address. Have a great Advent and Christmas and a great World Cup. So we talk with a lot of athletes who who base so much of their self-identity on their performance and, and who are Christians and, and oftentimes fall into a trap of thinking that they're only as good as a person. They're only as good as their, their most recent or their best performance, their PR or, or whatever else. I wonder how you try to work through some of those dynamics of knowing that you've been very successful and knowing that when you are successful, more and more is asked of you or more and more of ex- is expected of you and yet knowing that that can be a really difficult uh, emotional space to, to be a part of, how do, you, how do you bring in the recognition that you're a child of God into all of that? And how does that help you in terms of your performance? Right. So basically, I just I usually think about where I came from and I share my I share my testimony and I continuously re- remind people that you won't always be great. And that even though they see that the success that I have up to this point I wasn't always great. Like I always tell them I used to jump four feet, eight inches and people will like younger people that are in high school, they would message me like, Oh, your PR is this high. How did you get there? And I would say, well, you're jumping higher than I was when I was in school just to try to motivate and inspire these kids, you know? So. Don Tavis, I want to go back to, um, 
the actual event. And I want you to help us understand it for the for us non track and field people. Four, you know, four foot ten, four foot eight, you know, up to seven feet is a is a monstrous leap, uh, pun intended, right? Uh, to try to get there, and um, that amount of technique and technical changes that happen during that time um, are are pretty substantial. Can you describe the action a little bit for our non track and field? folks like what it, what is it like to be to get your body into that type of position uh how did how did you acquire that who helped you um just give us a little bit of like how you became a seven foot uh high jumper right so i jumped four eight as a freshman in high school at the time i was five feet five feet four inches tall or five feet five maybe 90 pounds so, and now I'm 6'3 and 170 pounds. So my physical buildup definitely did change a lot um, when it came to my ability to jump. Um, and I'll just give you all my progressions real quick. So my freshman year was 4'8", sophomore year was 5'10", junior year 6'3", uh, senior year was 7 feet, and fresh, freshman year of college was 7'1", and so on, up to 7'3", at this point. Uh, but when it comes to that feeling of what it's like to actually high jump over a bar, uh, one thing a lot of people don't know, especially non-track and field folks, it's a lot about physics and the way that you um, approach the bar and being able to maintain your velocity as well as your lean in the curve, which is going to propel you over the bar. It almost feels effortless when you do it right, um, but it looks amazing to everybody else because you're jumping so high. But just your power and velocity just from the physics of it all allows you to jump like that. So you mentioned... You went from four eight to five ten in in one year. That's that's a substantial increase, and I would imagine that. So, so sports scientists often talk about like someone that you have to have the hardware and the software to become great. Meaning, you have to have like some sort of genetic ability, but you also have to have an environment that fosters your development. It seems to me that if you if you were able to go up fourteen inches in one year, there must have been some physical development along with some coaching, right? So there must have been something like that there. Yes, sir. So my coaches, um, I went to Baker High School in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, my coaches, Coach Young, Coach Dixon, and Coach Tiffany, um, were definitely instrumental in my development as a high jumper. Um, when I hit my little bit of a growth spurt my sophomore year, um, even though my technique did get better, it did take a lot of studying, um, practicing every day with my coaches. Because um, back then, my track actually didn't have a – my high school didn't have a track. It was concrete. So we had to practice at other schools' facilities, and whatnot. So it was rough, but we were able to make it through and be successful in the end. So right now you're engaged in being the best collegiate uh, high jumper you can possibly be. Maybe um, maybe the best, right, would be the goal. Um, and then you start thinking about track and field and uh, representing your country, right, at a uh, at the on an international stage. Um, Tell me like how that process goes, uh, should that sort of play out and um, how you would navigate that space if you ended up moving into an Olympic or other um, international competition. Yes. So the great thing about track and field, you can actually compete on international teams before, before you're actually a professional athlete. So I've currently already competed on two teams. Uh, it was an under-20 team. 
back when I was 19 years old, my freshman year of college. And this past team was the NACAC championships was in the Bahamas. So I got to compete on both of those teams in which I was the team captain. Um, but for everyone listening, uh, for future teams that I want to qualify for, that looks like basically going to the USA trials. Um, a lot of people know the Olympic trials, but USA trials happens every single year. Um, to qualify for those USA teams, you have to be top three at the competition and also potentially have the standard to make the USA team, as well as having the ranking, top ranking in the world. You're in an individual sport, which means that you're you're competing as an individual, but you've always been on a team, so you're representing the team as well. When you join these USA teams, you're, you're representing your country, which comes with a little bit more stakes alongside it. Further, as a Christian and someone and, and as someone who is known as a Christian, you're also representing in some ways an entire faith. Do you feel the weight of some of these things on, on your shoulders? And if so, how does that impact how you train and how you perform? Yes, sir. Most definitely. I would definitely say my my freshman year um, when I competed for Team USA, it was a completely different feeling than I had when I just competed four years later um, at this past championship. Um, there was definitely a different kind of pressure, different kind of weight on me mentally and emotionally, just knowing that I'm competing for my country and also me showing everything that I stood for and my faith in God all throughout the season. And it's just like I'm here and I have to show them that I am who I say I am. And there just was a lot of pressure on me, but I just had to relax and give it to God and compete. But I definitely felt that this past year. Bring me to the moment of just before you compete, just before actually it's your your turn to to make the to make an attempt. Um, and it could be your first, second, third attempt. But tell me how your mind processes that moment. What sort of discipline are you bringing to your emotional state, to your mental state? Uh, because really, uh, a lot of times sports will will require a certain reaction. And this this is really up to you. I mean, you you're given a space and time to go, but you don't start that first step until it's time to go. I want to walk us through how you're doing that mentally. Right. So in our field events, most eventers do have a cadence of their own. Uh, my personal cadence, I walk up to the line. I pretty much clear my mind and I do one rock back. I rock back one time. And then that's when I go. But before all of that happens, there's definitely a lot of jitters, a lot of nervousness um, before I come in at my opening height. Because usually most high jumpers come in at an opening height that's significantly lower than what their personal record is. For instance, I will come in at a height of either 6'8 or 6'10 um, to start the competition. But even though I'm coming in at a bar that I know I can get, there are a lot of jitters and a, a lot of nervousness in my mind. But once I do my rock back and I, I relax my mind, I run up and I clear. From that point on, I'm much more relaxed throughout the competition. So you have coaches who are coaching your technique specifically. They're also talking to you about this this sort of this build up the rock back, the uh, you know your entire sort of progression up to when you're actually making the attempt. I'm curious what role um, your teammates, what role maybe the chaplain plays in all of your preparation for for the the approach a, as well. I mean, how much how much are there other other f- 
forces and influences, you know, speaking to you and helping you along to prepare you for that quick moment. This is such a, a short event, right? It's such a quick event, your attempts, right? It's, we're talking a couple of seconds and then you've got to wait for a long time again before the next one, right? So who all is speaking into this? Right. I'll say pretty much every everyone on my team, because there are a bunch of high jumpers on my team and my coaches as well. Each and every day when we go to practice, I may get to watch them do a certain drill or just just jump in general. And even though my PR may be better than them, also like the women high jumpers that I watch as well on my team, even though I have a better PR or I may be further along athletically, I can take something from each individual that I watch. Um, it goes for pros, um, high schoolers. There's something to be learned, whether that's what not to do, whether that is what to do. You can you'd have to be like a sponge and soak those things in, and um, that's kind of that's kind of how I've learned. Well, I really liked the way you said that, the humility of uh, continuing to learn. And particularly sometimes, you know, you get to a certain level in a sport and you think you can only learn from up, right, from somebody that's better than me. And what you're saying is that you can actually continue to learn from people that aren't quite at your level. I wonder about the teammates that you mentioned, the men's team, the women's team, the high jumpers in particular, but maybe other uh, track and field athletes. Uh, how are you being a teammate to them? What do you think is, is effective in terms of supporting, encouraging them to get to their level of uh, their highest level of um, competition? Right. So I will say um, in, the, in the high jump, sometimes it does look like there's a bunch of natural ability and people being able to jump over bars. is just God given talent. Although that is true. Um, some people definitely do have, natural technique that is better than others uh, so sometimes my teammates will ask me how do i do this how do i do that and i just explain it to them the best way that i can how i keep my velocity how i keep my lean how i'm able to be so powerful but at the end of the day some things just can't convert to some of my teammates because some of those abilities are just natural so the best thing that i continue to tell my teammates and anybody else is you have to be confident you have to believe in yourself and believe in your ability when you're even when you miss a bar you need to be ready to get the next one and in my sport, track and field, and in my event in general, a lot of people struggle with that confidence and not being able to break those barriers and jump jump even higher bars, you know. So I've even struggled with that in the past as well. So that's why I really had to learn how to get that under control and believe. Yeah, it's an interesting point that there's just some things that it's hard to articulate, right, what, what you're doing. And sometimes because it's, it's become habit, it's become sort of just – embodied in you that you, you do what you do and it's really hard to describe to, to others that's that's interesting i'm wondering if i can if i can ask you to describe a little bit of your thoughts related to um so we have we have more and more christians in the world of sport that that are, are recognizable based on on their their faith and one of the things that's historically been an issue is athletes participating on sundays and yet that doesn't seem to be as much of an issue um, at least at the top levels anymore, because athletes, if they're going to be at the top levels, have to participate on Sundays in some sense. I wonder how you navigate through that as, as a Christian athlete. So usually when our competitions are going on, we compete on Fridays and Saturdays, and we're usually arriving back um, back to our Auburn at maybe Sunday, Sunday. And usually we miss church around that time. Me personally, I believe in a relationship with God. So even on the days that I, I can't quite make it to church, 
um, I'm still comfortable in my faith that I can still practice at home or be able to meet up with friends and, and just talk about God in that way. So I, I'm definitely not against it because I do believe that I can still get everything that I need to get um, out of Sunday without, even if I have to train or even if I'm traveling. So it's been great to get to know you in this process. I think um, everyone knows a bit more about high jump and certainly high jump at um, an elite level. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's coming up for you? What, uh, what you're building toward um, and how maybe someone could follow you, follow your success um, through your, your uh, Auburn track and field season and in other places? Yes, right now we are in fall training, but after these Thanksgiving and Christmas breaks, we'll pretty much be full spring into the season come mid-January. Um, if you guys would like to follow my season, y'all can follow me on Instagram at Duntavious Hill, also on Twitter at Duntavious Hill 3, and I will also be vlogging every competition on YouTube at Duntavious Hill. So. Well, Dontavius, what a great opportunity for us to get to know you. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to come on the Sport Faith Life podcast. Um, it's the We also welcome you and your um, fellow athletes to tune into the podcast, pass it around to your friends, uh, their family members, let them uh, uh, hear what uh, others are hearing as well. And, uh, yeah, we would love to just follow you as you go forward and uh, – we wish you the best of luck as you go forward and and, um, and not only uh, on in competition, but also beyond. We think it's really exciting that you're at this point. You're uh, obviously um, mature for 22, and we're excited that uh, you've given us this opportunity to get to know you. Uh, the, the next stage of life could be even more pressure, even more um expectation but it, it gives us great confidence i think that uh, your faith is grounded and that you're ready to go so uh, best to you going forward and thanks so much yes sir thank you thanks for listening to the sport faith life podcast Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.